0: Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Holy Spirit come. Fill this place. Thank you that you're moving over us, over our lives. God, we just (laughs) honor you. We love you. Thank you for the price you paid. You died and you rose because of Mm -hmm. a father's heart for his children. Because you first loved. God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. Spirit, right now, would you just continue to minister into the hearts of your people, into your the hearts of your fathers, that they know they're loved, that they can do it. Father, we honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, money give God this morning. It works. <laughs> Tip can and coffee. It's meant to go together. You guys are amazing. Georgie, Zachy's gone back. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, welcome to c 3 be Happy Father's Day. Fathers, we do want to recognize you. We salute you. We champion you. Uh, you got to know that you are called and you are anointed to lead strong. Amen. Mm-hmm. To actually love unconditionally and to be that example yeah. of faith, hope, and love, first to your families and then in the community. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want to share with you, I believe God has put on my heart for us men and it does apply to all of us. For those amazing people that are doing it solo, those solo parents, I want you to lean in as well. And we want to talk this morning about transformation. Uh, the title of my message is "Living in Rhythm." Living in rhythm. Any fathers out there? You got rhythm. <laughs> When you get on the dance floor and the feet start moving, the hips start swinging, the ladies just aren't safe. Or ladies, look at me, just be honest, you know the only thing that's going to happen if the fathers get on the dance floor, the feet move, is they're going to end up in hospital, right? Less about rhythm and more about an injured flamingo trying to do its main dance on National Geographic. It just doesn't work. But anyway, some of us do, some of us don't. That's fine. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit of God. So when we enter into relationship with Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. And so begins a process of transformation in our life. And it's an ongoing process, the Bible says, that continues from one degree of glory to another. Another, all for the goal of creating Christ-likeness on the inside of us. And it's a process that keeps going, really, until the day that God calls us home to glory. The process of transformation, however, is not a simple journey from A to B on this linear curve that just gets us to the end goal, right? It's, It's not a straight line from sinner to saint. Who can appreciate that when we receive Christ into our lives... We learn very quickly that that process of transformation has its ups and its downs. Yeah. Right? That we all experience the mountain victories, we go through our valleys as we move upwards and onwards towards that end goal. But I say all that for you guys to understand that transformation is not a passive process in your life. Yeah. It's actually an active process that requires us to engage with and work with the spirit of God who's at work inside of us, right? You cannot I've said it before, you cannot transform your body as much as you want to by simply walking past the gym. walk past the gym every day thinking, I really need to change my body. But it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. You've got to engage with the process. So it is with transformation. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we experience transformation? We experience it through renewing of our minds. And how do we do that? We do that through the the word of God. But there's an intentionality on our part to come to the word of God. We've got to engage with God. We've got to make a decision, especially men in our lives, to actually draw near to God if we want to experience transformation. It's an active process. The problem then And I've said this before in a previous message, that if we're not intentional as people about transformation, by default in our lives, we will simply conform to the world. We'll conform to its pattern of thinking, its way of behaving, its belief system. It's just what happens. The problem with that for us men especially is that the world does a very poor job of modeling to us what healthy manhood is. What, what a healthy husband is, what a healthy father is. And so there's an imperative, if you like, for us as a body of Christ to champion our men to choose transformation. To not simply live life defaulting to world standards, but say, hey, there's a better way. If you would choose to draw near to God, you'll experience godly transformation. And I'd say even this, that it, the, the, the stakes are so high that the fate of the family unit rests on men's ability to choose to draw near to God right who knows right now the the family unit has never been under as much attack as it is right now today's mm-hmm. society families are falling apart there's so much dysfunction the lines are even that blurred between what is masculinity what is femininity we don't know anymore so we need men that are going to choose transformation but when you look at the process of transformation you actually find that there is a rhythm to it yeah so in seasons we're all called to fight the good fight of faith to take ground, to wage war. We get in the trenches. We're, we're the hands and feet of God. But there are times and seasons where God actually calls us to draw aside and to stop and to wait and to rest. And what are we doing in that season? We're eating of the Word and we're drinking on of His Spirit. And why is that important? Well, Isaiah forty thirty one says, but those who wait on the Lord, will what? Shall renew their strength. Yeah. <laughs> they shall mount up on wings like eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So if there is a renewing of strength when you wait on God, it stands to reason that there is a spending of strength when you're fighting. And so I say that because, man, you cannot keep fighting in your life the good fight of faith, spinning the plates, being all things to all people and ignoring the call of God to draw aside in seasons and stop and wait on Him. Very good. You don't have the strength to keep going in and of yourself. At some point, you're going to run out. The problem is right now, we have too many men in the body of Christ who are trying to fight the good fight of faith and spin the plates and make it all work and carry responsibility, but there's no strength left on the inside of them, and they're empty. And they're spinning plates, and they're feeling maybe a little bit defeated, maybe a little bit deflated, and the problem is that when they eventually fall over, They then have to carry the weight of the accusation of the enemy saying, well, you failed. You can't do this fatherhood thing. You're not a good father. You're not a good husband. You're not a good provider. But I want to come this morning and tell us, men, the problem is not you. The problem is not your ability. The problem isn't even your capacity to carry the presence of God. The problem for us men is so often we're unwilling to align ourselves to a rhythm of transformation, To be able to stop in our lives, to wait on God, and then get up and fight. And then stop and wait on God, and then get up and fight. And then stop and wait on God, and get up and fight. You see, because as men, we're just naturally wired to fight. We're naturally wired to work, to solve problems, right? What we're not naturally wired to do is to surrender, to stop and rely on another. You know, we find it difficult at times just to stop and to wait. We find it difficult to trust. We find it difficult to take instructions. We find it difficult to listen. All the women are going, preach it, Justin. (laughs) Amen and hallelujah. Best message you've ever preached. But that's exactly what our Heavenly Father calls us to do. He calls us as men to come to Him as His children. Why? So that He can instruct us. He can teach us. He can empower us, engage with us, encourage us, strengthen us. Lamentations 3.22 says, through the Lord's mercies... We are not consumed because its compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Fathers, I want you to know that at some point, no matter how much you've got life together, your strength will fail you. That your resolve will weaken. There'll just be seasons where you your life comes under risk of compromise. David, who was a father and a king, declares this in Psalm 27:14. He says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that the condition of your heart will determine how you finish in this life. The strength that you need to fight that good fight of faith, the courage that you need as fathers to walk not by what you're seeing but what the Word of God is telling you, the courage to take and the wisdom needed to sometimes make very hard decisions doesn't come as you get smarter or you achieve more or you do more or you add more to an already very busy schedule. It comes as you learn a discipline in your life to stop first and surrender and wait on your father, your heavenly father, and then out of that place begin to move. Out of that place begin to operate. Out of that place begin to lead and guide your family. Jesus models are so perfect for us. He's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate man. he, He walked with his disciples, but he found a rhythm in his life. It wasn't just ministry, 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 ministry. Jesus would come to a point in his life where he would pull away. And the disciples at times wouldn't even know where he's gone. He's just disappeared. Where was he? He was at the feet of the Father. He would spend time in silence listening to his dad. God, you've given me responsibility. You've given me accountability. But I know I can't do it on my own. What is it that you would have me do? How is it that you would have me talk to my children? What is it that I need to do in this business decision? How is it that I can better support my wife? God, you need to help me in this. And he would often tell his disciples, I do nothing except that which my father has told me to do. Jesus understood this rhythm in his life. You've got to think, why is it that burnout is so prevalent right now in our society? Because, man, we're, we're, we're living with the handbrake on. And the foot on the accelerator right we're just revving too high that eventually we hit walls and we burn out and we can all think of times when we first maybe met christ and we're filled and things look different and we're full of hope and we're committed and we're passionate and we're getting on with what we've got to do but then slowly life being life sometimes starts to knock us around a little bit yeah and then we hit a few potholes and if you hit too many potholes what happens the wheel alignment starts to fall out right but it's ever so slight, and then over time, we stop making right decisions, we start making wrong decisions, and what it does is it begins to take us a little bit off course, little bit by little bit by little bit. And once when we started in rhythm, we begin to fall out of rhythm, and we say, God, you know what, I'm good at the fighting, but I don't have time for the waiting. And so we slowly start to move out of sync with God in our lives. Yeah, true. Then what happens is one day we wake up and we get frustrated because, man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. How did I get here? Why do I feel so lost? Why am I struggling with all of these things? Sometimes we get too busy swimming in the busyness of life that we don't notice the current slowly taking us off course until it's too late. And I want to tell you that that's a place where the enemy would definitely want you to be because that's where he begins to sow doubt into your life. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did He? Did He? Did He? There's Eve in the garden. You've got to understand, Adam and Eve were without sin at this point. They were communing with God directly. God very clearly made His wishes known, yet the enemy begins to sow doubt into her mind. That's the very first tactic the enemy tries. And with men, it's often the very first thing he will do. The problem and the danger with doubt is this, that it makes temptation that much more enticing. Things you would never usually have a second look at now become the only thing that you can see. And men that are weak, men that are tired, men that are burnt out, are very susceptible to the enemy sowing seeds of doubt into their life. The enemy can sow seeds of doubt into your marriage. Or well, maybe she doesn't love me like I thought she did. Maybe I can't do this husband thing. It's on the rocks anyway. I doubt it's ever going to get better. All of a sudden that lady, that colleague, that co-worker you never would have taken a second look at and all of a sudden becomes all you can see. Or if you can sow seeds of doubt into your finances. Well, I just don't think I can steward God's money. I just don't know if God really is my provider. All of a sudden that gambling venture you would never have taken a second look at now becomes the only thing you can see. All of a sudden the wine glass becomes the wine bottle. All of a sudden, that little tent of temptation becomes a tower and a stronghold in your life. Amen? And Elijah was a man, just like you and I, a great prophet who had incredible highs and lows in his life. And in 1 Kings 19, we find this prophet sleeping under a tree in the desert, asking God to take his life. Understand why Elijah was there. I want to give you some context as to where he had come from. And so God calls Elijah, we know that he's one of the major prophets, he's probably one of the most significant, powerful prophets we read of in the the Bible, and God calls him in a time and a season where the people had pretty much forsaken their covenant relationship with God. We had kings that had risen up, that were practicing pagan rituals, that were practicing idolatry, that didn't want anything to do with God, and the Bible says to us that specifically there rose an evil, evil, evil king, King Ahab. Who married a queen Jezebel, who he knows a spirit of rebellion incarnate, and, and together they're ruling a people that have walked away from God. So here's Elijah in the middle of this, being risen up as a mouthpiece for God, and he's asked to go push back against the status quo, push back against people's complacency and disobedience. And we know when we read scripture that Elijah was a man that made room in his life for God to move. We know that he miraculously provided for a widow and his sons. He raised a dead boy to life. He outran a horse and a chariot in Scripture. At the end of his life, we know that he was taken back up into heaven in a whirlwind and fire. So when you read it, it's fair to assume that Elijah had an anointing on his life. He carried weight on his life. God was for him, not against him. Elijah had learned a rhythm of fighting for God. He understood the power of God. He had faith in God's word. So then God spoke. Elijah would step out in obedience. And I want to contrast Elijah to someone else. In 1 Samuel 17, we read the story of a young shepherd boy, David. We know that David is anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. We know David eventually finds his way down to a, the, the base camp of Israel. And he ends up taking on Goliath, who's a Philistine giant. He overcomes Goliath and starts his journey to becoming king. David had learned a different rhythm in his life, a rhythm of waiting on God. Seasons that he had in his father's sheep field, tending his sheep, he had a bit of time on his hands to listen to God and wait on God and sit with God and worship and write. We know at one point David is endued with the Spirit of God and he overcomes a lion and a bear. But he's learned to trust in waiting on God's Word and being obedient to God's Word and it causes him eventually to deliver Israel out of Philistine oppression. So you have two men. You have a prophet and you have a king. Both have learned a rhythm with God in their lives, but both also come to a crossroad in their lives where they actually fall out of rhythm. And so following on from Elijah's victory, we know that he has this incredible victory on Mount Carmel where he defeats 450 prophets of Baal, 1 Kings 19. We read this. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah and he left his servant there. I want to stop for a minute and just help you appreciate the insanity of the situation here. Because here is Elijah, this great prophet of God, who's just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, right? God has answered Elijah's prayer. He's rained down fire. He's burned up an altar. It's stones. Elijah rises up in righteous anger by the sword, kills all these false prophets. God's moving on his life. He's moving in the power of the Spirit of God. And then a messenger... Comes from this queen, gives him a little letter, which basically says she's going to take his life. You would think Elijah, who he was, would be able to dismiss it and go, Well, you know what? I know who my God is. He moves in power. He moves in authority. So try what you may. My God is greater than your God. He's for me, not against me, whatever. But he doesn't. He reads the words that are on this page, and he's filled with fear, and he runs hitches up his tunic, and he's out, takes his servant, and he's gone. Not even where God wants him to go. The word says here that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a tree in the desert, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take my life from me, for I'm no better than my father's. One day he's in victory on the mountain, killing prophets, doing half hours with God. The next he's under a tree in the desert, saying, God, I'm done, and finished, kill me. I don't want to do this life anymore. So what's happening? What's going on here? I want to tell you, Elijah comes off Mount Carmel empty. Strength gone. No more to give. No more fuel in the tank. He's given everything he can give. He's fighting, fighting, fighting. He's got no more to give. The problem is Elijah is good at fighting, but not necessarily good at resting. And so he was empty, and empty men are vulnerable. Empty men are susceptible to the threats of the enemy. Empty men are more easily led off course. Elijah finds himself in the desert, in a dry place, contemplating death, not where God wants him to be. Men, I want to tell you this morning, if you find yourself in a dry place, in a place where you're not meant to be, it's perhaps not that. Families against you. Your kids are against you. Your work doesn't like you. Could it be perhaps that maybe you're just running on empty? Maybe you just have no more strength to give. And so you've given in to the lies and taunts and temptations of the enemy and it's begun to take you off course. In chapter 19, verse 5, the story goes on to say that he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. I want you to get this church. And the angel of the Lord came back again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God didn't come and meet Elijah under a tree and empower him to keep doing another miracle in his life or another great work or keep excelling. He recognized this man is done. He's got no more in the tank. He says, Elijah, you need to stop for a minute. You need to eat. You need to drink. You need to rest. You need to wait. Because the place from where you've come from and the place I now need to get you to, if you try and do it on your own, you're not going to make it. It's too great for you. You're going to die. I want to tell you, man, that when we try and do it alone, when we try to carry weights on our own, when we try to be all things to all people, I want to tell you the journey is too great for you. You're going to die. Maybe not physically, but spiritually you will. When you find yourself in a dry place and you refuse to allow yourself to rest in the presence of God and rely on Him, amen? Amen. If you try and do life outside of connection with like-minded people that have your back, yeah. two are better than one, you're not going to make it on your own. Yeah. God didn't in- endure Elijah with more power to perform. He said, son, I need you to stop and rest and I need you to eat and drink because I need to take you on from here. And what I've called and purposed you to do, you're not designed to do it on your own. You need the strength of your heavenly father to keep going. You need to get back in rhythm. It says that, and he arose, and he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to harvest the manner of God. When we wait on Him, what happens? He speaks to us. He strengthens us. He assures us. He helps steer us back on course if we feel ourselves slipping off. Even God is teaching this great prophet Elijah. That it's not in your fighting and in your struggle, because when you're fighting and struggling, it's very difficult to hear the word of God. It's not even in your achievements, men, or your victories, but it's in the waiting. It's still in your life to hear the small, still voice of God, and He wants to speak to us. Amen. Where Elijah was fighting, he should have been resting, he was getting himself out of rhythm. What about David. Well, we know David eventually becomes king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 11, 1-2, it says this. It happened in the spring of the year, at a time when kings go out to battle, David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged siege Rabba, But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful to behold. At a time when kings go out to battle... David decided, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang in Jerusalem. At a season when David should have been fighting, he was resting. He was out of rhythm. Men, I want to tell you that when you're not in the place you're supposed to be, that thing you would never look at now becomes all you can see. David wasn't supposed to be where he was, but all of a sudden all he could see was Bathsheba. He wasn't supposed to be there. He should have been fighting. He should have been in rhythm in his life. And so too comes the call to our men that perhaps have spent too many a seasons resting. And I want to speak into your life today and break a spirit of familiarity and timidity, taking the presence of God and the Word of God for granted. We need to be men that are filled with the Spirit of God, that will pick seasons where we know it's right to stand up and fight for our families, fight for our kids, fight for our marriages. We need to be men that actually raise a standard in our lives. And you go, this is the way, the truth, and the life. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because it's not about what the world expects of you or what society is trying to put on you. I want to tell you men, it's about what God has done for you. That God loves you. That his word is truth. And so here's the deal. People are going to hate it. People are going to push back at it. People are going to judge it. When you lead strong, people are going to criticize it. They're not going to understand it. But you know what your God has done. That he is the rock. And upon the rock, my family and I will continue to stand. As Pastor Melissa said, we need men that in seasons know what it is to fight. Because if all we're doing is resting... We're not where God wants us to be. We're not moving forward. We begin to look at things we shouldn't be looking at. We begin to think things we shouldn't be thinking. And all of a sudden, the enemy begins to lead us, of course. Amen? We know that after David fell, even though God forgave him, his family was fragmented. His kids turned on him, turned on one another. War came to his door. Man, I want to call us again back into godly rhythm in our lives. Amen. You see, because the call and the purpose God places on you will always demand more from you than you can give. He's designed us in such a way that we only achieve excellence if we work with Him. If we allow His Spirit to move in us and through us. That's how He's created us. Like it or not, that's the deal. He has a purpose and a plan for every one of you, first in the family and then in community, to be a light, salt, and earth To represent Christ in everything that you do. But the onus and responsibility is not on you to do it alone. Because when you do it alone, we fail. We run out of strength. And when we fail, well, what's the point? We give up. We move away. We drop those standards. We stop fighting for what we should be fighting for. God has always known the journey is too great for us to do it alone. So when he designs us, he designs us to work with him best in rhythm. Men, I've created you to be warriors, to fight, to provide, to stand up, to be the strength. But I've also created you to come and sit at my feet and allow my spirit to strengthen you, my wisdom to come upon you. How many fathers are trying to go out there alone in life trying to figure things out on their own, trying to handle their kids, their marriage is hanging by a thread, they don't know what to do, and they get lost and they get angry and they get frustrated and everyone's telling them, well, you're failing. You're useless, give up, don't worry about it. I want to call us back in a godly rhythm. But the process of transformation, men, in your life is not a passive one, it's active. You have to demarcate lines in your life to say these are not negotiables. Me and my house, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe. And if I've got to go and pray and lead by example, that's what I do. If I've got to open the word of God when I could be doing something else, that's what I do. We've got to make a decision first before others follow. We've got to make a decision first as men of God before we can expect others to follow. Don't wish hope or criticize your children for not being in church when you don't go to church. Stop criticizing or judging people when you're not doing what you know you should be doing. I want to call us back into rhythm. You see, because when we come before the presence of God, he fills us with fresh oil. And then we start walking out our journey of faith. But over time, what will naturally happen is your oil levels run low. It's just what happens. What happens when the oil runs low? The warning light flashes. It's been a while since I've been in the Word of God. It's been a while since I've been praying. I'm getting really short with my kids, my wife. I'm not talking much. I'm just a closed book when I get home. All I want to do is go sit down and watch Netflix and everyone leave me alone. I don't want to be in community. I don't want to answer these calls. Morning lights flashing. God, I need to come back and sit at your feet. God, you've got to strengthen me. You've got to give me wisdom. I lay down these attitudes at your feet. God, I don't know what to do. God, would you lead me? Would you help me? Would you strengthen me? I pray for my family. I pray for my kids. I pray for my marriage. God, would you protect this home? You're at the center. What does God do in those times? He pours his strength back into you. He fills you up with oil so you can keep walking. And then life happens. And the oil levels run low, And the warning line flashes. God, I'm back at your feet. There's a rhythm, church. There's a rhythm, man. I might get us to stand. If I could get the band up, that would be good. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three says this. It says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Man, I want to tell you this morning that your steps have been ordered by God. That he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not just here to exist. You're not just here to be a provider. You are not just a husband, not just a father. But God has a plan and a purpose to use you for his kingdom purpose. And he's already ordered your steps. He's written them all out. He knows how to get you to the end goal. You've just got to keep walking. And I love this because he says, though you fall. God knows you're going to fall. God knows you're not always going to get it right, and the beautiful thing is He doesn't expect you to. And so often as men, we wind our lives up in judging ourselves because all we remember is how we failed, how we're not good enough, how we're messing up as fathers, how we're not getting it right as husbands. But God says it's okay. You've got to know that I've still got you by my hand. I'm not going to let you be completely destroyed. Like the great apostle Paul, he says, man, there's seasons in my life where I feel pressed in, where I feel crushed, where I feel defeated. But I know my God is for me. He's not going to forsake me. The word says that even though you are cast down, you'll not be destroyed because my hand is under you. I will never allow you to be completely destroyed. If you would do what? Simply get up, dust off disappointment, say, God, I'm here again. I don't have answers, but you'll find me at your feet as a husband and a father. I lay pride down. I lay ego down. I say, I don't always have it together, God, but you do. Will you help me? Will you empower me? Will you strengthen me? Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14, and I'm bringing this to a close. God speaks to Israel. He says, if you will seek me. You'll find me. Men, if you will seek God, his promises, he's not going to hide from you. You'll find him. If you search for me with all your heart. And the beautiful thing about God, and I've seen this in the lives of so many men over the years, is when they make that decision to say, God, I'm going to seek you with everything that I have. Watch God begin to bring them back from places of captivity. Back to where he wants them back into purpose, back into restoration, back into healing. He says, if you will seek me and search me with all your heart, you'll find me. And when you find me, I'm going to pick you up in my arms. And I'm going to take you back from that place where you started to get carried away from. So you can start again because of my grace and my mercy over your life. I love this because it encourages me as a man that there's grace and there's mercy for the walk i got to walk. That my God's not giving up on me if I would seek Him, if I would get back into that rhythm. We've got to fight with everything that we can fight for, but we've got to learn how to stop. Come and sit at His feet and say, God, would you help me? Would you fill me with your Spirit? I don't know what to do in this situation, in the circumstances. I've got decisions I have to make, the pressures on, expectations on God. What do I do? I promise you, man, if you would seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. He'll lead you. He'll lead you. You know, the most dangerous men in the kingdom are those men in rhythm that can't stop and say, I don't have it all together. God, would you help me? Would you fill me? Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.